Welcome to Obesity, a Disease, the official Obesity Medicine Association podcast exploring the many facets of the disease of obesity. Obesity, a Disease podcast is brought to you by the Obesity Medicine Association, a clinical leader in obesity medicine. Tired and hungry, two words that are commonly expressed together. Are they put together by chance or when people have inadequate sleep? Are they really more hungry, maybe more impulsive, or more likely to seek reward in food? I remember my days in residency training working 36-hour shifts and then, well, in my family medicine practice, having my sleep disrupted by trips to the hospital in the middle of the night to admit patients. Mm -hmm. The next day, I often found myself eating a candy bar or grabbing that donut in the break room. What is the relationship between feeling tired and our desire to eat, or our food choices, or our sense of satiety? Hi, I'm Dr. Nick Pennings, Chair of Family Medicine at the Campbell University School of Osteopathic Medicine and Executive Director of Clinical Education for the Obesity Medicine Association. And with me today to help answer some of these questions is Marie-Pierre Saint-Ange, PhD. Dr. Saint-Ange, if you would Introduce yourself or tell the audience about yourself. Yeah, hello, I'm uh, Marie-Pierre Saint-Ange. I'm associate professor at Columbia University Irving Medical Center and the director of the Center of Excellence for Sleep and Circadian Research. Uh, I have a background in nutrition and moved into sleep research about over 15, 16 years ago to, uh, to test the causality of associations between insufficient sleep duration, obesity, and cardiometabolic risk factors. So I've been doing uh, clinical intervention studies of uh, sleep since then. Well, that's great. And, and we hear a lot about that relationship between sleep and obesity. So what is the evidence for that connection between sleep status and obesity? So we have a lot of epidemiological evidence of an, uh, cross-sectional and longitudinal associations between insufficient sleep, so sleeping less than seven hours per night, and uh, body mass index, obesity, uh, large weight gain uh, being associated with insufficient sleep. We've been very interested in trying to uncover the causality of this uh, association. So really looking at the influence of insufficient sleep on energy balance regulation, really addressing the question as to whether having too little sleep will lead someone towards a positive energy balance whereby there's an increase in body weight, either due to a reduction in energy expenditure or an increase in energy intake or a combination of both. And there's quite a bit of evidence uh, linking uh, sleep duration and obesity risk. And now we also have quite a bit of uh, causal evidence as well through clinical intervention studies. Okay, so before we dive into that, though, one of the questions that I have is a lot of my patients vary widely in the amount of sleep that they seem to need. Some people function fine on lesser sleep than others. Is there individual variability in that relationship between sleep and uh, weight gain? When we look at population studies, it's individuals who report sleeping five hours, six hours per night compared to those who report sleeping seven or eight hours per night who have a higher risk of obesity and large weight gain. Uh, in terms of how people feel and the amount of, uh, of sleep they think they need, you know, the, um, the Sleep Research Society and uh, 
the Academy of the American Academy of Sleep Medicine put together recommendations for sleep for adults and recommend that all adults get at least seven hours of sleep per night. So I often kind of say what you feel you need and what you biologically need may be two different things, right? So people may feel like they can function appropriately and, and feel alert with less than seven hours of sleep per night, but there are so many other metabolic processes that occur that we don't feel that may require at least seven hours of sleep per night. So blood pressure is one of those things where individuals who have uh, better sleep or longer sleep at night have better blood pressure uh, control. And you don't really necessarily feel higher blood pressure with insufficient sleep. So we're just fooling ourselves when we say that we can get by on four or five hours of sleep. I, I don't, personally, I don't think it's sustainable for, for long periods of time. Yeah. What about gender or desirable. <laughs> no. What about gender differences? Are there differences between men and women? There are natural differences uh, between men and women in terms of the amount of sleep that people get. Generally, women get more sleep than men, around 20 minutes, 20 to 30 minutes. Um, but it's still, you know, the same the same recommendations as uh, getting at least seven hours of sleep per night. Okay. So how does sleep deprivation impact energy balance? Does it impact our regulators of appetite? Right. So we've, uh, in, our, in our studies, we've shown that uh, people who are sleep restricted, so severely sleep restricted, compared to when they're able to get their regular amount of sleep. So if we recruit in our studies individuals who sleep at least seven hours per night and restrict their sleep, and when we do that, they overeat and tend to consume. In our study, our participants under sleep restriction ate 300 calories more than when they got adequate sleep, which was about seven and a half hours of sleep per night. Many others have found similar results whereby uh, restricting sleep in individuals who have adequate sleep leads to an increase in energy intake. Um, and there have been meta-analyses that, that uh, support these findings as well, generally showing a, a difference in energy intake of 250 to 400 calories. Uh, there was a really nice uh, study that was published about a year and a half ago now by Nema Kovacin and her colleagues uh, assessing food intake over a two-week period and measuring as well energy expenditure and, and body weight. And they found that uh, energy that sleep restriction led to an increase in energy intake of about 260, 270 calories per day over sustained over two weeks. And over two weeks, these participants gained half a kilo. Okay. So is that there's lots of reasons why we eat. One of it is appetite regulators. Uh, ghrelin and leptin and PYY and such agents, mm -hmm. are they affected by a lack of sleep? Certainly. Uh, in our research, we found that a sleep restriction led to an increase in ghrelin, particularly in males. But in females, what we found was a reduction in glucagon-like peptide 1. So if you may be aware that ghrelin is a hormone that stimulates appetite, food intake, it rises before meals. So for males, when they were sleep restricted, this hormone was increased. GLP-1 is a, is a hormone that signifies uh, satiety. So in females, having a reduction in this hormone means a reduction in satiety signals. And in any case, 
what we get is increased food intake, but the but the mechanism by which this occurs may be different between males and females, whereby in males there is a trigger towards greater initiation of eating and, um, and greater food intake that way, whereas in females there may be a reduction in those signals that uh, to stop eating, but the end result remains uh, greater food intake. And then also we eat for hedonic reasons. We seek reward in food. We seek pleasure in food. Does that change with sleep mm -hmm. deprivation? So this is uh, so this is a little different actually. Um, we found in our severe sleep restriction study that neuronal responses to foods were upregulated as a result of sleep restriction compared to adequate sleep. So those uh, reward uh, areas of the brain were increased to a greater extent when participants were not getting uh, sufficient sleep compared to when they did get adequate sleep. We just uh, finished a study of milder sleep restriction sustained over a longer period of time. And now with this scenario where individuals are reducing their sleep by an hour and a half and keeping that shortened sleep duration for a six week period, we don't find quite similar results for a couple of reasons. Um, one, the field has changed, uh, neuroimaging field has changed and the criteria for um, statistical significance is becoming more rigorous. Um, and so when we apply similar statistical um, analyses, we find similar results with uh, sleep restriction, milder sleep restriction of increased reward. But when we apply more uh, rigorous threshold for significance, we lose this level of significance. So we don't really know if it's because the signals are not as strong when sleep restriction is not as severe or if it's a statistical uh, rigor issue. Um, I think there's more research that needs to be done in this front. Okay. Another uh, thing that is uh, often talked about when it comes to weight loss is willpower and not giving in to impulsivity. Is that mm -hmm. affected by a lack of sleep? Yeah, so we didn't specifically assess these issues of impulsivity and measure those types of uh, of, of outcomes, uh, but there have been some studies of um, mostly uh, asking individuals how much they would like to eat if they were given monetary uh, allowance, how much food would they purchase in different scenarios of sleep uh, under different I mean sleep circumstances. Individuals tend to purchase or say they would purchase more food, say they would consume more food when under conditions of sleep restriction or sleep deprivation compared to conditions of adequate sleep. Um, but I think the best the best uh, measure there is actual measures of food intake, right? So you can actually see how much people eat and what they eat and what they choose to eat. Uh, and in many cases, what we find is that when individuals are uh, undergoing sleep restriction, they choose foods that are higher in fat. They tend to choose uh, more snacks, to consume more snacks compared to uh, to meal items or tend to consume more uh, sugar-sweetened uh, foods. Now, the prefrontal cortex is thought to play an important role in that controlling those impulsive behaviors. Is that part of the brain affected by sleep or lack of sleep? Yeah. 
So what we found in, in our research was this brain region was upregulated after adequate sleep so that there's better, uh, better control of behaviors when you have adequate sleep compared to sleep restriction. That could translate to, um, to those food choices as well. But this is also, you know, those uh, functional neuroimaging studies where we need to, to do more careful evaluations with milder sleep restrictions using uh, newer metrics for, for statistical significance. Okay. So what about patients who are on a calorie-restricted diet? How does sleep affect their ability to adhere to a dietary mm -hmm. regimen? Right, so we find that uh, individuals who have short sleep duration or poor, or poor quality sleep tend to uh, not have as much weight loss success as individuals who report better sleep quality or better sleep duration. That was a really nice study that was done now almost 15 years ago where they placed individuals in a randomized uh, crossover design and a controlled diet of caloric restriction, where for two weeks, participants were either undergoing short sleep, so either sleeping about five to five and a half hours per night versus seven and a half hours per night, but under conditions of energy restriction where everyone is getting a, um, an energy restricted diet that's reduced in calories by about 500 calories. So everybody's expected to get the same amount of weight loss over a two week period. And in that study, they actually did find equivalent weight loss under controlled feeding conditions, but the distribution of weight loss was different between the sleep restricted condition and the adequate sleep condition where there was a reduced loss of fat mass and greater loss of muscle mass in the sleep restricted condition compared to the adequate sleep condition. And they also found a, um, a lower reduction in respiratory quotient. So respiratory quotient remained higher in sleep restricted conditions, meaning uh, less fat oxidation. And also they found that rest and metabolic rate was suppressed to a greater extent in those individuals undergoing uh, weight loss in the context of insufficient sleep. So what it, this tells me then is that if you're not getting enough sleep and undergoing a weight restriction diet, first, you're not losing as much fat mass as if you'd get adequate sleep and you have a greater suppression of your resting metabolic rate, which then once you stop the weight loss process or the, the energy restricted diet, your, re your resting metabolic rate is lower, which makes it easier to regain some of the weight. So there's research that's really, that's going on right now to address how um, sleep duration and sleep quality are involved in the uh, weight maintenance process as well, and how this is uh, implicated in weight loss success. So that was very interesting that patients who participate in the study that followed a calorie-restricted diet lost roughly the same amount of weight, but those who were sleep-deprived had differences in body composition, having more loss of fat-free mass and less fat mass versus those who had adequate sleep. So that I find that very interesting. One of the things we talk about with issues with lack of sleep is a stress response and perhaps raising cortisol levels. Is there any evidence that that plays a role in the impact on weight and body composition? 
Right. So, so there are the data on on cortisol levels uh, from sleep restriction are somewhat controversial. Not every study finds an increase in cortisol levels uh, from sleep restriction. Could be due to the extent of the sleep restriction, the conditions in which it's uh, it's implemented. In our study, there was no effect of sleep restriction on cortisol concentrations. So, so in our hands, that is not one of the mechanisms. Um, there could be other impact. I mentioned that um, fat oxidation is reduced uh, in the context of sleep restriction. So that could be uh, one way where there is a reduction, there's a lesser reduction in, in uh, fat mass that could be that could be due to differences in fat oxidation. Okay. Good. So we all have bad nights and have difficulty sleeping at times. Does um, does make up sleep, does sleeping more the next night or taking naps help that at all? Right. So napping is also, again, another one of those, um, those behaviors that it depends, I would say it depends on what the outcome is about, right? So if you're looking to stimulate alertness, um, then, and then having a short nap could be beneficial uh, if you're in a sleep restricted or sleep deprived condition. But in terms of metabolic outcomes, uh, the data don't necessarily show improvements in metabolic outcomes from napping behaviors. There could be different, um, different reasons for that. Uh, here in the US, napping is not, uh, is not a very prevalent behavior. We also uh, don't capture napping behaviors very well uh, in questionnaires. And, uh, and when we ask individuals if they nap, you know, napping on a regular basis, what does that mean? How much, there, there's so many things that, that surround napping behaviors. How often do you do it? Is it a daily occurrence? Is it a weekly occurrence? Why do you nap? When do you nap? How long do you nap? All of those factors will play a, will play a role and, uh, and we need to have uh, better information about those behaviors uh, in, in, uh, in the US. Uh, but, uh, certainly if, uh, if you're in, in a high alert requiring situation, uh, and you're very sleepy, having uh, a quick nap would be helpful to improve alertness. But one thing that's important also about napping is the timing of the nap, uh, making sure that, uh, if you choose to nap, you don't nap too close to bedtime so that you're not, uh, adversely impacting overnight sleep. And then that, you know, not to self uh, set yourself up for short sleep at night because of uh, napping that occurred for too long a period, too close to bedtime. And what about if you get a good night's sleep the next night? Uh, does that help to change your energy intake? Yes, actually, there was a, a nice study that was published was again about a year and a half ago by uh, Esra Tassali and her group showing that, first of all, sleep extension is possible <laughs> in individuals who sleep too little. So they recruited people who slept uh, le less than six hours per night and asked them to increase their sleep. And they were able to have people increase their sleep by a little over an hour. I think it was about an hour, an hour 15 minutes or so. And in those individuals who increased their sleep, they found a reduction in energy intake and accompanying weight loss. And interestingly, I mentioned uh, earlier the study by uh, 
by Dr. Kovacin that have found that uh, restricting sleep led to um, an increase in energy intake of about 260, 270 calories per day with an increase in body weight of half a kilo. Well, Tassali and her group found that individuals who increased their sleep reduced their energy intake on average by about the same amount of 260, 270 calories and lost half a kilo, measured over a two week period. And in that study, they, um, they, they presented a really nice scatter plot of energy intake uh, as a function of increase or change in, in sleep duration over the two week period and showed a really nice uh, inverse association between change in sleep duration and change in energy intake. So the individuals who increased their sleep duration the most had the greatest reduction in energy intake um, over a two week period. So it's never too late to improve your sleep habits and try to get into healthy sleep patterns and positively impact your weight. That's great. Exactly, exactly. The problem is getting there, right? So how do you right. get, how do you, how do you get, how do you kickstart this, uh, this helpful cycle? Yes, and uh, that's a whole nother podcast to talk about. <laughs> um, we've talked a lot about the energy intake side. What about the energy expenditure side? Does sleep deprivation impact energy expenditure? So that's also an excellent question. We've done some of this work. We actually, with Dr. Schechter, uh, Dr. Ari Schechter, who's now an associate professor here at Columbia, um, done a study, a metabolic chamber study, where we enrolled uh, young women who had adequate sleep at night and randomized them uh, to restrict their sleep to about four hours per night, a little under four hours per night, or maintain adequate sleep. So they had an eight hour time in bed opportunity. They underwent both conditions in a randomized crossover design in a metabolic chamber. So they, these women, had either short sleep or adequate sleep for one night. We brought them in the chamber. We measured their energy expenditure minute by minute over a 24 hour period. During that 24 hour period, they either maintained the short sleep, so four hours time in bed or the adequate sleep of eight hours time in bed. And, um, and we assessed their, their energy expenditure. What we found was that during wake time, women had the exact same energy expenditure, whether they had insufficient sleep or adequate sleep the previous night. But the differences in energy expenditure were visible when uh, women went to bed. So those women, uh, the women uh, had a reduction in their resting metabolic rate when they were asked to go to bed to level to bed, sleep metabolic rate. So their metabolic rate remained lower during the, uh, the short sleep, the, during the sleep period. When they were asked to maintain wakefulness for an extended period of time, their uh, energy expenditure remained elevated. And then when they went to bed, their energy expenditure went down. Basically what happened is when we uh, extend wakefulness we extend the amount of time that our metabolic rate remains to wake level metabolic rate relative to sleep level. So there is an increase in, in metabolic rate. And when we advance our wake times, our energy expenditure again goes up to wake levels. So by restricting sleep, there's actually an increase in energy expenditure that happens because of the cost of maintaining wakefulness. 
because otherwise energy expenditure is the same. So during wake in the two in the two conditions, energy expenditure was the same during sleep, whether they had um, short sleep or, or adequate sleep during the sleep episode, energy expenditure was the same. So now there was an actual increase in energy expenditure in these women of about 90 calories over a 24 hour period by having about three and a half hours extra wakefulness. What we don't measure in a metabolic chamber is free living physical activity or free living uh, energy expenditure, right? Because in the confines of a metabolic chamber, you can't move so much. Uh, so when we do that and we measure energy expenditure when individuals are allowed to move about, we find that in the conditions of um, severe sleep restriction, participants have less very vigorous uh, physical activity, their peak activity level is lower in conditions of uh, sleep restriction compared to adequate sleep. So that could counteract the increased energy expenditure from added wakefulness. We also don't know so much about um, what happens in terms of um, intensity of exercise. If you choose to exercise, if you've had uh, insufficient sleep, will you exercise to a lower intensity? Will you exercise to a, 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 for a shorter period of time because you're too tired or fatigued and can't maintain the same level of, of um, intensity as if you're well rested. So what I'm hearing is that there are a number of different variables involved. If you're awake more, you're going to burn more calories just by being awake. Yes. Um, but then when you while you're asleep, you may burn fewer calories while you're sleeping because your resting energy expenditure is a little bit lower. Yeah, so the sleeping metabolic rate is always lower than wake metabolic rate. So okay. if you're sleeping less, obviously, then you have less of a lower metabolic, less time at a lower metabolic, a lower metabolic rate. That's okay. why there's added energy expenditure. But if, if you're in a sedentary behavior. And then your uh, ability to, or willingness to engage in physical activity may be different in terms of the intensity of activity or... How about neat activity? Is that impacted by lack of sleep? Are you less likely to engage in neat activities? Yes. Yeah, so non-exercise activity thermogenesis is something that we have a hard time measuring. So we can measure that in the metabolic chamber, um, which would could contribute to, to differences in, in energy expenditure that we observed in our metabolic chamber. But otherwise, it's not something that's very easy to capture. You can't get that from indirect calorimetry, for example, if you just do a use a metabolic cart to measure um, energy to measure energy expenditure, because you can't capture meat that way. Um, waste actigraphy won't really capture it either. Um, so, um, so yeah, so meat meat is something that's a little more complex to to assess. But the other thing too is that individuals that we recruit in sleep restriction studies are individuals who get adequate sleep on a regular basis. And we ask them to reduce their sleep and not to nap, we ask them to maintain wakefulness. So this is forced wakefulness in individuals. I would expect that if you force someone to maintain wakefulness for the, for do, because of the research protocol, they may engage in more NEAT. Right? They may fidget a little more because they don't want to fall asleep because that's against protocol, right? So 
there is also this this uh, notion of artificial activity that we might cap be capturing in the context of these research protocols that may not be so reflective of um, individuals who willingly forego sleep for various reasons. Okay, so a lot more research to be done to kind of figure out and, and sounds like difficult research to do to figure out what the impact is on uh, activity overall. Um, yes, because energy expenditure is is so diverse, right? So we have resting metabolic rate, sleeping metabolic rate, rate wake metabolic rate, physical activity, uh, thermogenesis, diet-induced thermogenesis, and there's multiple ways we can measure uh, energy expenditure as well. Yeah, very complicated. Mm -hmm. Okay, I, now what about night shift workers? How should we be advising patients that end up on night shifts? That's often a big challenge. And I often find that people who work night shifts struggle more with their weight. And so individuals who um, who work at night have struggle with sleep for one because they're trying to sleep during the daytime when uh, against circadian factors that oppose sleep during the day, and so they're trying to sleep at a time where the body is not really uh, allowing them to get adequate sleep. So oftentimes their sleep is reduced. Um, also, a lot of social factors that come into play there. Uh, their sleep may be a little more, more disturbed due to external factors. Um, so there's, uh, it, it's difficult for, for shift workers to get adequate sleep, to get good quality sleep. And night shift workers are often also shifting back and forth from a night schedule to a day schedule on their off days. Uh, they don't necessarily keep to a night schedule and have flip back. So there are many things that happen there. Um, the timing of the meals is also different. Um, and then their ability to, to, to exercise and keep uh, a consistent schedule is, is difficult. So there's a lot of, uh, there's push for research in this area to try to find ways to improve sleep in individuals who uh, need to work during the night. And also, uh, finding ways to mitigate risks associated with night work because night shift work is associated with increased risk of obesity, increased risk of type 2 diabetes and cardiovascular disease. So we really need to find ways to, to mitigate this risk. We actually have a, a symposium uh, in April on, on shift work and working around the clock and its impact on, on health and we'll be talking about different ways to mitigate that risk. Oh, that'd be interesting. Um, so for our patients with chronic insomnia or, or patients that are on night shift work struggling to get the adequate sleep, um, is there any benefit to using medications to improve sleep? Does that provide a benefit? Does it provide a harm? What are your thoughts on that? So I, I, don't, uh, I don't see patients or prescribe medicines. Um, there's, there's some pros and cons. Uh, I don't think that... Uh, that uh, Individuals should remain on medicines for prolonged periods of time. There is habituation effects. Uh, there's also uh, oftentimes um, uh, post-awakening uh, grogginess that happens with, uh, with medicines. Um, so I would advocate for um, better lifestyle management uh, of, of these disorders. Um, 
CBTI is something that that uh, is often used and is effective for treating insomnia. And a lot of my colleagues in, uh, who are psychologists can treat patients with, uh, with insomnia using cognitive behavioral therapy. Yes, and I think that's the treatment of choice for that particular condition. Yes. Yeah. Now, whether that influence, you know, treatment of, of insomnia leads to improvements in, in weight regulation is something that, that needs to be uh, evaluated. And one of the concerns we have as obesity medicine specialists is some medications do promote weight gain. And so diphenhydramine is commonly used as a sleep aid, but that has been associated with weight promotion as well. So mm -hmm. uh, that is a, a concern there. Well, this has yeah. been a very interesting conversation and I appreciate all your insights on this topic uh, and hopefully clarifying, th clarifying things for our audience. So Dr. St. Ange presented at the 2023 Spring Obesity Summit in New York City in a lecture titled, Do Sleepy Brains Make Poor Food and Other Lifestyle Choices? You can find her presentation in the OMA Academy. If you like this podcast, uh, Obesity Disease, please share it with your friends or colleagues. I'd like to ask you just one uh, other question. What are some key tips that clinicians should provide patients when they're working with them on their sleep habits? Well, first thing, I, I think that uh, clinicians should ask their patients about their sleep. That's something that, that's not often asked in healthcare encounters. So ask your patients about their sleep. Ask them if they get enough sleep, if they feel satisfied with their sleep, if they feel sleepy uh, during the day. And if they, uh, they don't, the one thing to do is refer them to sleep specialists, verify for sleep apnea. I think that's something that's often uh, on the radar for uh, obesity specialists. But, um, but also uh, bringing up this conversation and alerting them to the ill effects of insufficient sleep. That's, and that's a, a great point. Fatigue is one of the most common complaints that we find in the office, and we need to dig deeper in that. Well, mm -hmm. thank you very much for uh, being with us today and enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of Obesity, a Disease. For more information about obesity medicine podcasts and other valuable resources from the clinical leaders in obesity medicine, please visit www.obesitymedicine.org backslash podcasts. If you enjoyed this episode and want to listen regularly, head over to iTunes where you can subscribe, rate, and leave us a much appreciated review. The views expressed in this episode are those of the host and guest and do not necessarily represent the opinions, beliefs, or policies of the Obesity Medicine Association or its members. Please join us again for our next episode of Obesity, a Disease.